Broadcasting live from the Raiders practice facility at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. This is the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. go right out to the Raider Nation guest line and welcome in our good friend uh, Q Myers. You can follow him at your boy Q254. He's the host of uh, or the host of UNR uh, 3 to 6 p.m. on Fox Sports Central Texas uh, AM 1330 and 93.9 FM. Q, I would imagine you're uh, a fairly uh, happy dude right about now after um, Baylor <laughs> basically flexed his muscles uh, on uh, Gonzaga and everybody else and uh, won the national championship. Congratulations uh, to your Texas kids uh, and Baylor showing showing out last night. Yeah, man, they really did. They were awesome. Uh, it was unbelievable. I didn't think that they were going to go out there and punch Gonzaga in the mouth like that, but they did. And they earned the national championship, the first in school history for the men's basketball team. It was amazing. Scott Drew's a heck of a coach. And I'll tell you, man, it's just been a lot of fun just seeing the joy around the city. I mean, it doesn't do anything for me except for make my shows easier. <laughs> yeah. You know, welcome to open up the phone lines and let it rip. But besides that, man, it's been a lot of fun just to see everyone excited about what Baylor was able to do. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I love teams that, um, you know, uh, not necessarily uh, saving the best for last, but playing the best when it counts and their performances in the semifinals and the finals were testament to that. They rose to the challenge and championship teams do that. They always have another level to take it to um, when the situation warrants it and the level of, of, uh, of competition and stakes get higher. And that's exactly what, he, what they did. And that's why they're the champions. And on the flip side, uh, you can make the case, the opposite case for Gonzaga. Uh, they struggled in the semifinals against an okay team uh, that got hot at the right time in UCLA. And then when they needed to push it up even higher, they weren't able – it wasn't there. They didn't have it. They weren't capable of doing it. And that's usually what marks or differentiates the champions from the not champions, uh, the runner-ups. Uh, let's put it that yeah. way. So. Um, anyway, uh, let's get back uh, to the uh, to the topic at hand, uh, the Raiders. And one of the questions that I posed, Q, uh, on, on Twitter was, if the Raiders don't go tackle or free safety with the 17th pick uh, overall, and, you know, obviously uh, those are the two glaring needs because there really isn't uh, an established starter or a distinct, uh, you know, somebody that you could say, this is the guy that's going to start at that position for the next 16 games. They just don't have that. Um, at, at either of those positions. But if they don't go there in that direction at number 17, where would you like the Raiders to go? I just really, honestly, Vinny, I want to see the Raiders go out and get a difference maker. You know what I mean? Like, you can go get an offensive tackle who you believe is a, is, a, is a difference maker. We talked about Christian Derisaw a week ago and how he could be a great bookend or, you know, even a Tevin Jenkins could be a good bit, bit bookend, Liam Eikenberg, any, any of those guys, they could be great bookends. But if that's not the direction you're going to go and you, you don't feel like there's a safety at 17 that you, that you need to go get, go get a guy who's going to make a difference. And, and I say this by saying even if that means trading up a little bit for a guy that may be dropping in the draft, similar to what we saw from CeeDee Lamb a year ago when he dropped the 17 to the Raiders, which I, or the, to the Cowboys, which I never thought was going to happen. I thought there was no way that would happen, but it happened. So there's, you never know how the draft's going to shake out. So even if you have to make a move and go forward and go and get maybe a, a Patrick Sertain if he's there at 12, or, you know, just 
or, or a J.C. Horn, who's a, a difference maker, a big-time player. Um, I, you know, there's edge rushers that you can go get. I wouldn't mind them going and getting a guy like that if they felt that he was the dude at 17. But I just really think that the Raiders need more difference makers on the squad, and, and they don't have enough yet. So I would like to see them go in that direction. All right. So um, you mentioned the possibility of trading up. And um, at what point do you seriously consider moving up? Um, you know, at, at, when you start getting your eye, like obviously trends happen in a draft, and all of a sudden right. you just get that feeling like, uh oh, this dude's fallen, you know, and how far will right. he fall? Uh, and so, and that, you know, perks up the interest, and all of a sudden you start thinking as a team, should we move up to go get this guy? Uh, if you're in the general manager's chair, at what point do you do you seriously start considering that and f- for who? Um, at what point and for who? And I know you just mentioned you know, some names, but tell me right. when you would start seriously considering moving some assets to go get those guys. I, I think that really it starts when it comes to Patrick Sertain, it starts at number 10 because I think that the Cowboys really have their eye on him and would love to team him up with his, his college teammate that they grabbed a year ago in uh, Trevon Diggs. I, I, would, I think that that's where they ideally want to go at 10. So if for some reason, maybe they go with a Panay Sewell, maybe he drops the 10, and they go and get that guy to, to, to be one of their bookends for the future. Then I start thinking, like, wait a minute, hold on. This dude's not supposed to be past number 10. And that's when I kind of get on the horn and say, okay, what's it going to take? Because I think that guy is a difference maker. And I know Trayvon Mullins there. I know Damon Arnett's there. That's a lot of draft capital that you put in, in corners. I get it. But, again, you go and get the best player available if you have a chance to. And if he's available and a little bit later than you think that he's supposed to be on the board, why not go get an absolute stud who looks like he could be a, a, a shutdown corner? Then you have, you have a guy to give Gus Bradley and say, okay, here's a cornerstone corner for years to come. We'll figure out the rest. We'll figure out Trayvon Mullen. We'll figure out Damon Arnett. But right now, this is your difference maker, your benchmark guy that you can get at that linebacker position. I think that that's one guy. I also think that Micah Parsons could be a guy. You know, I mean, I've seen some mock drafts where he drops to number 17. I would be shocked if that happens. But, again, it's just me being shocked, and that doesn't mean anything. So, you know, if he starts dropping, he's at 13, he's at 14, why not make a move and go get that guy, a guy that you know can cover the tight end out of the, uh, uh, you know, from the slot, a guy that can cover the running back out of the backfield, a guy who could be a difference maker. You know, I, I, I'm very high on Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa, but I realize that you have to know how to use him. I know he's kind of a, you know, a Isaiah Simmons-type clone, so you, if you don't have a great plan for him, maybe you'd rather go with Parsons. And if Parsons is somewhat there and available around, you know, 12 or 13, maybe Mike Mayock and Gruden get together and say, hey, what should we do? This guy is a real attractive piece. Gus Bradley loves to have a real dynamic linebacker in his defense. Why not go get that guy? I mean, there's, there's a couple options there. I, I wouldn't give up the farm, but I would start looking around number 10. Uh, we're talking to uh, your boy Q, um, Q Myers, uh, and you can follow him, I should say, at your boy Q254. Uh, um, oh, okay. So let's say uh, uh, Patrick Sertain or uh, your guy J.C. Uh, Horn from, uh, from South Carolina. Um, and obviously, both of those guys uh, presumably are, are your day one starters at one of the cornerback positions. I would think that that would mean uh, Damon Al- or Damon Arnett being moved uh, to a to a different position. Could you project Damon Arnett moving into the slot? Is this, do you think that he's got that kind of skill set? Because now you've if 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 he does. You've just really strengthened yourself because now you have now because who's we don't know who the slot cornerback is right now, um, and maybe he's the guy that profiles at that position. But I don't know. 
your thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, the thing is, I don't know. I don't know what Damon Arnett's going to be because we didn't get to see him on the field enough. You know, he was banged up, obviously, coming out of training camp, had concussions, so he wasn't able to play enough and just didn't really know uh, what you have in Damon Arnett, I think. And I know the Raiders were very high on him coming out of training camp. Uh, you talked about that many times yep. coming out yep. of their practices, uh, leaving the facilities. And so that he could end up being a, a real deal player, you know, but at the same time, you just don't know. And so I'd much rather them have an abundance of talent. You know, you're coming up on year three of Trayvon Mullen. Is he the long-term solution? You know, let's talk about the other side. Maybe Damon Arnett is really the, the, the guy. And then all of a sudden you have him on one side and you have Sertain on the other side, and you think about Trayvon Mullen. I mean, you know, contracts dictate some things, and, and they, he doesn't have a fifth-year option. He's a four-year guy, so he's going into year three. I think there's a lot of guys that got to set their game up. I would love to see Damon Arnett work out in the slot, but I just don't know. You know, and it's only because we haven't got to see enough of him in general, the guy. How does Gus Bradley you know, envision him being a factor in his defense? You know, is he that guy or is he a guy? So, you know, I'm just – I'm really interested in that, but I kind of like that philosophy of just going and getting a lot of talent. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah had broke this down the other day. He said, hey, in Baltimore, they just went and got a ton of talent. They drafted uh, Terrell Suggs, I think, in the first round, and he wasn't even a starter. But he ended up being just about the defensive rookie of the year because he had so many sacks he came in at certain times. They didn't worry about where they were going to play these guys. They just realized this is the most talented dude on the board right here. Let's go get this guy. We'll figure out the rest later. When I covered the uh, the Lakers and, and the NBA, uh, you t- it, it would, it would, you'd almost want to slam your head up against the wall sometimes talking to scouts because uh, you heard this dreaded, well, what position does he play? Well, who, you can't – and, and I'll tell you who – it drove me the biggest up the wall on that uh, was Gilbert Arenas. I covered him in high school. I, I knew what okay. he was capable. He was the same guy in high school that he was at Arizona that he became in the NBA. He was just a ball player. And there was, well, I, is he a one? Is he a two? Is he, who cares? The dude is, you know, yep. unbelievably talented. And I think, you know, the NBA is starting to get out of that where do you play them? What do you do with them? You figure it out. That's what you do. The dude could play. That's the bottom line. And I'm with you on that. I think the more talent you accumulate, like the Baltimore Ravens have done, and then just let your coaches figure it out. It'll sort itself out. All right. You mentioned Micah Parsons. If he's there at number seven, you're, it sounds like you'd be interested in possibly even moving up for him. Uh, but there is there are some issues, uh, and that might mean that he falls to 17. Is he the guy at 17 for you if, if Michael Parsons uh, does fall there? Well, I mean, that, that depends. You know, I, I, uh, I've been leaning heavily towards Christian Derisaw, the offensive tackle out of Virginia Tech. I just think that he's going to be a, a big-time player, and, and I think he can man that right tackle position until the Raiders are ready to switch him over to the left tackle, which, based off of Colton Miller's contract extension, could be, you know, four or five years from now, and that's right. fine. Um, you know, that would be some really good bookends. Uh, but then again, if they believe in Tom Cable and believe that, you know, you can go get a tackle later on in the draft, then I would be all for going to get Michael Parsons. I do think that the linebacker position still needs to be addressed. I, I like the fact that Corey Littleton is going to have an opportunity in Gus Bradley's uh, defense and not to be thinking so much, just go out there and play and be the guy that you remember when he was a member of the Rams and what we all thought he was going to be as a member of the Raiders that he just wasn't able to do because, well, he was just thinking too much, clearly. So, uh, you know, I, I, I would love to see Michael Parsons. I would love to see Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa. I just think those are difference makers that, you know, uh, can, can – can go up against a Travis Kelsey, can go up against a Noah Fant, can slow those guys down, you know, take off the back, the, the running back out of the backfield. Uh, I know with the Wusu Cormo, you've got to have a plan. Like, that's the key. You've got to have a plan with him. But Michael Parsons, he could be, he could be a difference maker. He has a little edge to him. You mentioned he's got some, some issues. 
yeah, he's got some issues and some edge. And, and you know what? I think the Raiders might need a little bit of issue and edge in <laughs> their game as well. You know? <laughs> I agree with you. What about Quiddy Pay? I like him. I'm not 100% sold on him. I guess maybe it's just the Michigan not succeeding as much as they should that has me a little hesitant on him. But he's an edge rusher. He can provide a lot of, uh, you know, skill. But when you win and got Unique Ngakwe, man, I feel really confident about him. I know Max Crosby's going to be a guy that's going to also get after the, the quarterback. So I, I, I don't feel like that's as much of a pressing need as it was you know, a few months ago before they picked up Unique Ngakwe. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm with you on that. All right, we had Willie Sneed on uh, yesterday, right? And um, okay. one of the things that he mentioned was, and, you know, I could hear in his voice, um, A, he loved playing in Baltimore, and he loved the edge. You know, was, he, he mentioned playing like a Raven. It was like from the top of the organization to the bottom of the organization, there was that mantra and uh, kind of that, that, uh, that, that image and that um, thought process and just that demeanor. And he molded himself into a Raven uh, as a result, the toughness, the greediness, um, you know, the fight in him. It kind of that's – that, that's what personifies uh, the Ravens. But reading between the lines, just hearing, uh, you know, as he was explaining it, I think he really prefers now coming back to an offense uh, with the Raiders that's a little bit more similar to what he experienced in New Orleans. And that's not to take anything away from Lamar Jackson or how they attack people. Uh, everybody does it a little bit differently. Obviously, Lamar Jackson's skill set is different than, you know, Drew Brees. It's different than uh, Derek Carr. Um, so they, they do things a little bit differently offensively in Baltimore. And, you know, Willie was basically, you know, hey, I did what I was supposed to do. I was did, did what I was told to do, functioning in that kind of an offense. And it just sounds like he's really excited to get back to this type of an offense. And I went back and looked at his numbers. And I'm not saying this guy is going to be an all-pro player by any means. But go look at what he did in New Orleans, playing in that kind of, a, the kind of offense that he was going to be, that he's going to play, be playing here with the Raiders. Are we sleeping a little bit on how good of a football player uh, this guy can be alongside what John Gruden and the Raiders hope are a bunch of good football players on offense? No, you know, I don't think we are because I think that a lot of people are fired up about Willie Sneed. I know I'm more fired up about Willie Sneed than I am John Brown, and I'm not trying to slight John Brown. I think he's a good wide receiver, but I, I just think he's a good wide receiver. I think Willie Sneed, and I'm hoping he brings a little of that Baltimore Raven attitude with him to the organization. I really would like to see that little grit and grind, but with the New Orleans play style. You know what I mean? Yes, like, exactly. I think he has an opportunity to be a, a real-deal playmaker. He goes up and he'll fight for the 50-50 ball. He believes that he can score anytime he touches the ball. I think that he's ready. He's seen a guy like Nelson Aguilar go and go and put up big numbers and then go get a big contract from uh, New England. I, I think he sees the opportunity and knows that John Gruden is the offensive guy, and he's going to let his quarterback sling it around. He saw the numbers Derek Carr put up and realizes, hey, maybe I could be a part of this equation that helps boost this team and get them over the top, and I could end up being a go-to guy for Derek Carr. And uh, That's one thing we know, man. Derek Carr has found receivers that he is very comfortable with. You can go back to Michael Crabtree. He was very comfortable with him as a free agent. Nelly, clearly he was comfortable with him as a free agent. You know, Zay Jones he's comfortable with. There's a lot of guys he's very comfortable with. I'm sure Willie Sneed says, I have a lot of opportunity here if I go and put my best foot forward. And if he brings that Baltimore Raven attitude and approach to it, it could really be a good thing because it's almost like that blue collar that, that everyone's against us. Uh, you know, we got to have a, a chip on our shoulder. But then at the same time, we're going to go show out. And he's actually going to have an opportunity to catch some balls throughout the course of the game and, and not all just be just run, 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 run. Oh, there's a pass. You know, I mean, that's just – 
wide receivers don't really thrive in Baltimore, but that's what they have set up. That's the way they have it set up, and they're still winning games. So that's their process. I'm not here to talk bad about it. No, exactly. You know, much rather be in a in a in a plan in a in a in an offense where they feel like they can thrive as well. Yeah, absolutely. And we're talking to our good friend uh, Q Myers because if you look at the New Orleans numbers, and I got them up right here, uh, twenty age twenty three and twenty four played fifteen games in twenty fifteen, fifteen games in twenty sixteen, uh, eight starts in fifteen, four starts uh, in sixteen. But look at these numbers. Uh, obviously, playing in an ensemble cast uh, didn't start all the time, uh, but got on the field obviously. 2015, 101 targets, 69 catches, 984 yards, 14.3 yards per, per catch, three touchdowns. 2016, uh, 15 games, four starts, 104 targets, 72 uh, receptions, 895, 12.4 yards per, per catch. Again, and this is what's really intriguing to me, is that obviously when you look at the Saints, that is an ensemble cast. It always has been. And you had a point guard type quarterback in Drew Brees who spread the ball around. I'm not saying that Derek Carr is Drew Brees, but he's similar in that point guard quarterback approach, seeing the uh, mismatches, getting the ball to the mismatch. And I just think a guy like Willie Sneed now back in this offense, along with John Brown, along with Henry Ruggs, along with uh, Darren Waller, and now Kenyon Drake, I think there's going to be mismatches that a quarterback like Derek Carr can exploit. I agree. And, and you know, the thing about it, and Derek Carr has said it before, where he'll line up at the line of scrimmage and he'll look and say, oh, we've got this. We've got this. You'll You'll see that mismatch that you're talking about at the line of scrimmage, and the quarterback himself will see it and say, this play is going to work. And, yeah, yeah, say, yeah, we're good, we're good. That's what you'll hear. We're good. And then he'll go and make that play happen. Uh, and, again, uh, I'm not saying that Willie Sneed's going to have the same numbers that he had in New Orleans, but you know he's going to have those opportunities. And when you put up those kind of numbers without starting, you know, you're, you're, doing, you're doing some good things, and they're getting you the ball. And I know the Raiders probably run the rock more than New Orleans does, but still, you know you have a guy that has the capability of making plays. So I think that the opportunity is there for him. He mentioned it in his opening presser, you know, hey, to get back to an offense is something like I was in, in New Orleans is something I'm excited about. John Gruden's offense, I'm excited about it. Wide receivers want to go there and have an opportunity to thrive, similar to what Nelson Aguilar did just a year ago. One, sticking with offense, uh, had a, uh, a chat last night, um, and uh, the, the subject being Kenyon Drake. And uh, just to pass this along, and I want to get your thoughts on it, the Raiders really believe that there's some untapped potential uh, in Kenyon Drake. And nothing against, um, you know, where he the, his stops he made along the way, but, um, you know, the Miami years, you know, the quarterback situation sometimes was a little bit, um, you know, uh, there was <laughs> Tannehill got hurt one year. Um, you know, they, they, there was some flux at quarterback uh, last year. These last couple of years, he's been in an offense. Uh, you know, uh, Kyler Murray obviously is a really good young quarterback, but the offense yeah. was kind of a specific sort of an offense, a little bit different than what uh, the Raiders do here in Las Vegas. But there's a belief here um, with the Raiders that there is untapped potential in in ways that they're going to be able to utilize uh, Kenyon Drake, uh, being able to go fast and with him on the field because he can line up at wide receiver and line up in, at running back. You don't have to do the whole substitution thing. You can you can play up-tempo with a guy like that. What are your expectations uh, for a Kenyon Drake? I know it, you know there was some head-scratching going on, but just hearing the vision that I'm hearing, I see the common sense in this move. I'm excited by the move. I was excited by the move when they signed him. You know, I look at Josh Jacobs and, and Drake, and I say that's running back 1A and 1B. You know, I think that they can do a lot of things 
very similar to each other. I think they could be on the field at the same time. I think that there's no drop-off when one's out of the game and the other one's in the game. But then for every reason that you just mentioned, I'm excited as well. I think that you can see Drake line up outside and, and receive the ball. And I know he hasn't had a bunch of numbers uh, catching the ball as far as his career goes, but I believe he has the ability to do that. I remember Alabama when he was used in that role as well, you know, and I, I just think that he has an opportunity. You know, Miami, that was kind of a, I don't want to say dumpster fire, but it was a mess there. Yes. And it's a, it's, it's a gimmicky offense there in Arizona, so it's, it's different like you mentioned. This, he's got an offensive line that we all expect is going to be probably in pretty good shape once they finish putting it together. He'll be able to run between the tackles. I mean, this dude can do a lot of things that Josh Jacobs can do, and if you can have those kind of running backs on the field at all times and, you know, go up there and get the ugly yards, the one- and two-yard pickups, or, you know, break one. Break one and get, you know, some big-time yardage and just, you know, just help out that offense in a major way. I think there's, the sky's the limit, really. I, I really do, and I don't want to gas this guy up too much, but I, I like that Kenyon Drake coming out of Alabama. I really did. I hated when he got injured early on in his career, but I, I think that he's got an opportunity to really show some good things in, in, in Las Vegas. I think he has a great opportunity. I know he loves playing with Josh Jacobs. He's up about that. I think that's something, too. I think that, that that means something. You know, these guys want to compliment each other, similar to what goes on in Alabama. Uh, you know, so I think there's a big time opportunity here for Drake, and uh, there's just more weapons on the offense. And many we've talked about it a few times. You don't slow down building up your offense. A lot of people say the offense is good enough, just concentrate on the defense. It's never good enough. You've got to continue to build, 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 and get better each and every year, and make this thing more lethal. The best defense sometimes is a greater offense, and that's what the Raiders have an opportunity to do. And not even not not just getting better, and that's a great point, um, and being on that quest, but changing it up and doing things yep. differently because there's a whole bunch of defense coordinators right now, probably as we speak in some buildings, uh, that are studying you and figuring out ways to stop you. It, and if you come back doing the same exact thing, uh, then they got you. So it's always saying a step or two ahead of that posse. Uh, and that's the, that's the quest. That's what's the ongoing process here in the NFL. And I think the Raiders understand that. And I know John Gruden understands it. And I think he's got some tricks up his sleeve. He's already figuring you know, out ways. I'll say this as far as one of the tricks that could be up his sleeve. I think the time that he spent in Arizona with Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray might help as well if Marcus Mariota gets into the game as far as just a weapon on the field because they run that zone read. They run that to perfection. Derek Carr is not a guy you're going to be worried about taking off and running. But if you got Marcus in the backfield and you got Drake in the backfield, you literally don't know who's going to get the rock. Either one of these guys could take off and be big-time weapons. I think that that's something to watch out for moving forward as well. That's why we have Q Myers on the show, bringing uh, insight and knowledge like that. Uh, Q, uh, y- you know, you know how I feel about you. Um, so uh, thank you so much uh, for the insight and and the analysis. Uh, always appreciate it. Uh, we'll be in touch. Uh, that's for sure, man. Absolutely, I appreciate you, man. Have fun at the uh, facility there, man. Knock it down. Knock it out. Thank you very much. Really appreciate that. That is Q Myers, our good friend. You can follow him at your boy Q two five four. And that's a great point. Um, I. I, if if Marcus Mariota is on this team, uh, and I believe that he will be, uh, after restructuring his contract, I it almost behooves the Raiders to try to figure out a way to get him on the field. You want to be better in the red zone, scoring touchdowns. I'm not taking anything away from Derek Carr. Uh, it's not his fault uh, or anything like that. I'm just saying that one way to do it is by changing it up, is by figuring out different ways to attack. And I think Marcus Mariota. Uh, can be an asset in that side of the uh, in, in that position in the field, and as Q just mentioned, pairing him up with a Kenyon Drake 
uh, can make a lot of difference. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Um, I keep wanting to say Tequila Sunrise, uh, and only because I just watched a special on the Eagles uh, just uh, a couple of days ago. I keep hearing that song in my uh, in my head, but uh, Tequila Embajador is uh, much like uh, Tequila Sunrise. It's never a bad time uh, to pour yourself a glass, uh, kick back, chill. Um, and I know, especially with the draft coming up, uh, you know, uh, if you're a Raider fan, you just want to chill, uh, sip some tequila, take a look at the big boards, some video of some players, um, you know, uh, and, and, and just get into that draft groove right now because it's a big day coming up, a big weekend coming up uh, here for the Raiders as far as, you know, what they're going to do um, uh, you know, uh, with number 17, do you trade up? Do you move back a little bit? Uh, what would it take uh, to, to, to get up a little bit higher to go get maybe a Patrick Sertain, uh, who obviously the Cowboys have a, have a big eye on right now, it looks like uh, anyway. So, um, you know, there's a lot of options at number 17. Trading up could be a possibility. I think more likely they trade down uh, or uh, they just play it safe and let uh, the best player possible fall to them. We're going to go out to the Raider Nation listener line. Mitch wants to talk about the Raiders. How are you doing, Mitch? Good, Vinny. How you doing? I'm doing really well, thank Thanks you. Thanks for taking my call. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I love what the, the move, uh, like you said, uh, Drake. I mean, they're going to have one of the best uh, one-two uh, running backs. Not so much pounding, but they're both fast, catch the ball out of the field. So no excuses for, uh, for a call. Um, talk about moving up. Maybe they can trade with their Carolina since they got their quarterback, I think, for the future. I think that was a pretty good trade on football teams with Sam Donald. Um, maybe that's how they can get um, Patrick Sertain, and that'd be, a, that'd be an awesome coup if they can pull that off. Yeah, um, you know, I, 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 I'm looking at the draft order, and um, it just, as Q mentioned, it just really looks like, or, or it seems like, uh, Sertain doesn't get past the Cowboys at tell at, at ten. What what interests me is uh, the Falcons again throwing up um, you know the uh, the for sale uh, you know sign uh, outside their offices saying hey we're open for business at number four and if you're looking at number four obviously if you know and, and a lot depends on what happens with the 49ers but the 49ers one way or another are going to draft a quarterback uh let's just assume um based on reports that their interest might be in Mac Jones let's say let's say that's oh god <laughs> okay um because that would leave at number 4 you know all of a sudden you're talking about Justin Fields uh Trey Lance um being available if you're the and 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 you look behind the Falcons, and if the Falcons are trading ba- or open to trading back, it means that they're cool with rolling uh, with Matt Ryan another year, right? 
So, um, right. it, but if you look right behind the Falcons, the Cincinnati Bengals don't need a quarterback. <laughs> Do the Miami Dolphins need a quarterback? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure Tua has a little bit of something to say about that. They have a whole bunch of draft picks too, so um, you know they can they can they can just stand pat, take the best player available, and cash in on all these other draft picks that they have. The Detroit Lions. Do the Lions need a quarterback? Um, they just traded for Jared Goff. They traded uh, Matthew Stafford away to go get him. Is Jared Goff the answer in Detroit? I'm not. I'm not so sure. Um, but if you're the Detroit Lions, why do you trade up? With the Falcons, even if you do have your eye on a quarterback, because you basically know that the Bengals and the Dolphins aren't necessarily going to trade, right? I mean, aren't necessarily going to pull the uh, trigger on a quarterback. Then you got the Carolina Panthers, and I, they just traded for a quarterback, Sam Darnold. Uh, is this just a one-year rental to see what he's capable of doing? Uh, and then put a ring on it later, or are they going to also draft a quarterback? I don't think they're going to draft a quarterback is what I'm saying. So that's not a possibility. All these, all these wide receivers, a lot of those teams could use the wide receivers. It would make right, exactly. easier. Right, and my, my point uh, is, because the team that I, that I think might be interested in a quarterback uh, that on the sly is the Denver Broncos. I don't think that they feel like, They've got the answer in, in 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 their guy right now. So, would they be willing? And 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 if and and if the Broncos are reading the board correctly, what's the what's the um, you know what's the urgency to trade up when the Bengals don't need a quarterback? You don't think the Dolphins need a quarterback? The Lions, even if they take one of the quarterbacks, the Panthers aren't going to take a quarterback. So the Broncos are going to be sitting there with. Maybe Trey Lance. Maybe who if Mac Jones isn't drafted by the 49ers and it's and it's uh, you know Justin Fields who goes to the 49ers. Maybe the maybe the Broncos now have a choice between Mac Jones uh, and Trey Lance. So you know I know the Falcons want to want to want to trade down, but I just don't see the need if you're thinking about a quarterback drafting a quarterback. I think the Broncos should just stay where they are. I think the Lions probably should just stay where they are because the Bengals and Dolphins, I don't think, are, are, are drafting a quarterback. But um, yeah. you, I, you hear next, I hear next year's uh, quarterback draft is not too good. So guys like Marcus be available and even uh, Jimmy. Uh, and one more thing, Melvin Ingram, could he play linebacker with the Raiders? Be could think about putting him at linebacker. And thanks for taking my call. You got it, brother. Uh, Melvin Ingram, um, you know, obviously he's still out there, uh, does have a lot of experience with Gus Bradley, uh, you know, could be, you know, maybe maybe sorting through some some offers. Could he play? Yeah, I, I, I think that he can definitely fit with the Raiders. Not linebacker, like, you know, I think he could be in a, in a subset, you know, if, if, if they're, if, uh, you know, playing upright uh, or putting his hand on the ground as a defensive end. But, man, they've, they've – They've invested so much on the defensive line, um, you know, and at that position, rushing the passer. Uh, not sure they're going to do that, you know, dip into that well one more time, uh, you know, to go get uh, somebody like that. Although, you know, again, you're trying, as, as Q was talking about, as we've talked about, uh, you want to assemble as many good football players that could do things as possible. And, and you know, if he still has something left in the tank, uh, a, a guy like Melvin Ingram, um, is certainly has a history of, of being able to get to the quarterback and in situational football, 
uh, where you're keeping him fresh, where you're you know you're not running him into the ground. He's not playing every down. Uh, somebody that you in situations you put on the field uh, could be could be a benefit. But you know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm it's really interesting. With this draft and who needs the quarterbacks, and you know when the Falcons thinking about um, trading out of that fourth pick, uh, it really it, and San Francisco controls so much because who are they gonna pick? Are they really gonna pick Mac Jones uh, at number four? Um, I think that, or excuse me, number three. I think Mac Jones, looking watching him on tape, uh, this dude's a baller. I don't buy for one second that he was just the product of the Alabama system. That dude is making some throws that you're just going, holy cow. Like, he can play quarterback, and he can play quarterback in the NFL. I think his skills translate at a high level uh, to the NFL. But Justin Fields is, like, ridiculous, too. You know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, but I think people, I think most teams, I would think anyway, value Justin Fields more than they do Mac Jones. So if the Falcons or the 49ers pull the trigger on Mac Jones at number three, uh, then all of a sudden Justin Fields is in play. And if you're the Falcons, I think you're in a fairly good position to trade down. But really, are you? Because if you're a team that wants to move up to go get uh, Justin Fields, you got to figure that the Bengals aren't going to draft him. I, I mean, are the Miami Dolphins, would they consider drafting Justin Fields at number uh, six? Knowing that you've got Tua, do you just let it let him battle it out and and see who the victor is in, in in that battle? I don't know. Would the Detroit Lions pick Justin Fields? I think if you're the Detroit Lions and Justin Fields is available, you gotta take him, right? I mean, I I, I know Jared Goff. I think he I think the world of him. I think he still can play uh, without question, uh, uh, and 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 be a, a valuable piece. But man, Justin Fields at number seven be hard for the Detroit Lions to pass that up. And we're not even getting into Trey Lance is, is, is a guy that projects in the top five. The Carolina Panthers, I don't think they're drafting a quarterback, right? Would the, would the, would the Panthers draft a quarterback after just trading for Sam Donald? That would seem illogical uh, to me. Uh, but then the Denver Broncos, uh, you know, are the, could the Broncos trade up to go get a Justin Fields if the 49ers – don't um, draft him. If the, dra- if the 49ers draft Mac Jones, if you're the Denver Broncos and Trey Lance is available, or excuse me, and Justin Fields is available at number four, do you trade up from number nine to go get Justin Fields? If I'm the Denver Broncos, I'm making that trade, man. I would move up to number four. If I'm the Denver Broncos and the San Francisco 49ers draft Mac Jones, if I'm the Denver Broncos, I move up from number nine to number four and make sure that I get Justin Fields. I, 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 I'm doing it. I would do it. And that would be a really kind of a not a nightmare scenario for the Raiders. They've got their own business to tend to. And uh, you got to play all those guys at some point anyway. Wherever they end up, at some point, your your path is going to cross uh, with the Justin Fields of the world and everybody else, anyone else in the NFL. So you can't, act, you know, uh, it's not the end of the world if the if the Broncos go do it. But if I'm the Broncos, I might consider that. Uh, but it's definitely going to shake up everything else that happens in the draft. What happens ahead of uh, the Raiders? Uh, you know, w- without question. And we're sitting here thinking about, okay, what do the Raiders do at number seventeen, or do they? Think about moving up. 
um, you know, they've got their quarterback. They're set at quarterback. Uh, so it's not a trade up to go get a quarterback. But if if if, if Sewell starts dropping, uh, and I don't see him dropping too far, um, but if he drops into that ten range, that eleven range, are you thinking about maybe you know moving up to go get him? Are you thinking about moving up to go get a Patrick Sertain? Uh, would you think about doing that uh, to go get a J.C. Horn from South Carolina? You know, the thing about cornerback, if you're talking about one of the high, high-end guys uh, like Patrick Sertain, uh, like J.C. Horn from South Carolina, as when in talking to Q Myers, you figure it out. <laughs> you figure it out. That's not a bad problem to have, to have Trayvon Mullen, Damon Arnett, and Patrick Sertain or J.C. Horn. Uh, let somebody win that 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 you know uh, that the job out uh, opposite um, Trayvon Mullen, and then you know a guy, one of those two guys, whoever doesn't win that job should be able to uh, move inside, or maybe that's what you start from the very get go. Maybe Damon Arnett moves inside. I got to look into that to see if that's even a possibility. If he's got the skill set uh, to move inside, because if he can, and you have a chance to draft a guy like J.C. Horn. And then really have a, a, a young, talented, in some ways dynamic uh, secondary with, with your cornerbacks, not a bad position to be in, especially, and I mentioned this yesterday, the Raiders really feel a lot better about that front seven when you're talking about uh, the defensive line um, all the way through from top to bottom of what they've done at defensive line. And then bringing back their three linebackers, they feel really good about that about that uh, front seven right now, and that's only going to help whoever lines up behind them. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Yeah. We're back in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. This is Raider Nation Radio, nine twenty a.m. Yeah, you know, when you're looking at this uh, draft board and, um, you know, the Atlanta Falcons putting up the for sale sign uh, or open for business sign uh, outside their their offices that, uh, hey, um, you know, we'd be open to trading down uh, with that fourth pick. So much of it depends on what happens with the San Francisco 49ers. Um, Are you going to take... Are the 49ers going to take Mac Jones? And and here's something that's really interesting about that whole scenario. Uh, I'm, I'm doing a story for the Las Vegas Review Journal. Uh, it's going to be coming out, um, you know, uh, sometime uh, right before the draft or on draft day. We'll see uh, what day it runs. But it's about, you know, who has the power uh, in NFL buildings. Uh, here with the Raiders, uh, it's, and, you know, saying that, you know, there is somebody that has the final say, obviously. Uh, but most you know, um, uh, teams, it's a collaborative effort. Yes, somebody will have the final say, uh, but usually work your way as a group uh, to that decision, right? Um, so uh, it just, it's the best way to do it. Otherwise, you have people pointing fingers and at each other. I remember uh, Mitch Kupchak, the Lakers general manager, remember uh, for, for uh, some of the older uh, group here, uh, back in the day, um, the the Lakers traded Shaquille O'Neal, and um, it was a very controversial uh, move at the time. Um, but they decided, uh, rather than extend him, which is what he wanted, uh, to a, to a new longer uh, contract, 
They were going to trade him. And Mitch told me, he goes, you know, look, in a trade like that, you have to have universal acceptance. Everybody has to be on board with it in the organization because we understood that there were going to be some difficult times trying to rebuild now around Kobe, uh, losing a piece like Shaquille O'Neal. We all understood that. We were all from the top of the organization down. Um, everybody was on board because you don't make a move like that if somebody's against it, because invariably when it doesn't work out, and for a couple of years it didn't work out, the Lakers were on you know uh, tough times there for a little while, that's when the fingers start coming out and pointing fingers and things like that. So um, you know, for 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 uh, you, when you look at good organizations, they get a consensus. There's a universal work through the process to come to a decision and everybody, by the time the decision is made, everybody's on board with that decision. You don't win all the battles, but you get to a point where as an organization, everybody's behind the decision. I look at, when you look at the San Francisco 49ers back in a couple of years ago in 2017, if you remember, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, Kyle Shanahan takes over as head coach. They bring in John Lynch as their general manager. Kyle Shanahan, uh, it, by all indications, has final say uh, on on the roster and on the decisions. But again, it's a collaborative effort. So you go to 2017, right? And I was I've been doing some research for this story and looking at some videotape and some qu- clips of both Shanahan and uh, Lynch in retrospect, looking back on their decision making process in that 2017 draft. And uh, what happened? Well. Um, Kyle Shanahan had already kind of had his eye on the end of 2017 when Kirk Cousins, his pupil in uh, former pupil with the uh, with the Washington Football Club, was going to be a free agent, and in his mind, he'd already kind of formulated a plan that they're going to go sign a Kirk Cousins, right? And so they had the second pick overall in 2017, and they were not going to do a quarterback. That they they pretty much had ruled that out. With the number two pick, okay? So, and um, John Lynch, the general manager, you know, goes to Lubbock, Texas for a guy by the name of Patrick Mahomes' pro day, okay? But he fully admits in retrospect, hey, went there more to – as a smokescreen than anything else, trying to drum up – um, you know, some some uh, some interest in possibly a team trading up to number two, uh, uh, because maybe we're going to make it look like you know, hey, we're in on Patrick Mahomes, right? So just went there to deke some other teams and to to, to create some a little, a little bit of confusion and uh, a smokescreen. Well, John Lynch goes to Lubbock, Texas to watch Patrick Mahomes, and it's a blustery, windy day in Lubbock, Texas, and Patrick Mahomes puts on a show, like he's throwing eighty-yard uh, balls into the wind. Right. And it blew John Lynch away. And John Lynch said, you know, after that workout, went to dinner with them, you know, uh, trying to trying to create the the uh, you know, the smokescreen. But he was blown away. John Lynch was blown away to the point where he called Kyle Shanahan, who wasn't there on hand and said, hey, uh, you know, we might want to rethink this whole thing here, uh, you know, with, uh, with, with this kid, Patrick Mahomes. And obviously they didn't. In fact, they did trade down one spot uh, or a couple spots. I forget how many, but the Chicago Bears moved up to get, um, you know, uh, the, the North Carolina quarterback who um, Mitch Trubisky, 
instead of, you know, uh, uh, Deshaun Watson, instead of Patrick Mahomes. That's a whole other story. But the point is the 49ers didn't seize the moment. And it sure sounds like John Lynch was kind of leaning toward after seeing uh, Mahomes, leaning toward maybe, you know, rethinking the position about not taking a quarterback, but somehow, some way, they came to the conclusion, he and Kyle Shanahan, uh, working through the process of not. And I would think that the 49ers regret that move. Who did they take? Solomon Thomas, who's now on the Raiders. Um, you know, because it didn't pan out uh, with the third pick overall, taking Solomon Thomas. Now Solomon Thomas is here with the Raiders in Las Vegas. So I say all that to circle right back to the 49ers, who are sitting there now at number three, contemplating who to take. And it's really interesting to find out who's going to have the final say on that. There are some reports out there that maybe there's a differing of opinion uh, between John Lynch and between uh, Shanahan on who to take. Uh, There are reports that the 49ers seem to be settling in on Mac Jones over Justin Fields. Uh, that would kind of blow me away a little bit. Nothing against Mac Jones, but I think Justin Fields is the superior uh, prospect. Saying all that, if they do take Mac Jones, here's the Atlanta Falcons at number four sitting on a gold mine. And all of a sudden, Justin Fields is available. And the, the Falcons are like, hey, we wouldn't mind trading down in this scenario. The Denver Broncos at number nine, would you think? If I'm the Denver Broncos, I'm making that move. I'm going to trade up to the Falcons. Now, um, it all has to be talked about well beforehand. And I think that if I'm the Broncos, I'm already on the phone with the Atlanta Falcons saying, hey, if Justin Fields isn't the pick at number three, this is what we will give you to go up to number four. Those are conversations you have to have before the draft. And that's why these next couple of weeks are so fascinating. I want to say thanks to all the callers. I want to say thanks to Q Myers. Thank you to Damon uh, Cotton for doing what he does uh, back at home base. Really appreciate the hospitality here in Henderson at the Raiders practice facility. It is beautiful, you guys. I'm just saying. Um, we'll be back at it tomorrow, 4 to 6 p.m. in the huddle. Vinny Monsignor brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Talk to you guys tomorrow. <laughs>